Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you can have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business leader challenged with talent attraction, employee engagement, or supporting mental health, we can help. Use your benefits package as the key to unlock your workforce. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, back at it again on Podcast Friday with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, what are you saying these days? I'm excited about today's podcast, this one, because you know normally we get a chance to meet our guests ahead of time and have a conversation. Unfortunately, things just didn't work out. I didn't meet our guests beforehand, so only got to meet them about two minutes ago. But you know, already, just like that, we're joking a little bit. So I think this is going to be a great episode. Looking forward to it. We could be best friends by the end of it. <laughs> there was some instant rapport there. So with no further ado, joining us today is Mike Kessel. He is president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic Canada. And I'll be talking about that a little bit in a second. For those who don't know, Cleveland Clinic is one of the largest and most respected healthcare organizations in the world. He is one of 80,000, you heard that right, 80,000 caregivers within the global organization and has led the Canadian team for close to 15 years. In Canada, his team is helping patients and companies across Canada live healthier and more active lives. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks so much, Robin. Thanks so much, Al. I look forward to our chat. Well, my experience with the Cleveland Clinic is actually quite new. This year, one of my broker associates, I had reached out to him because I had used a competitor a couple of years ago and I had reached out and I said, hey, who are you using for your executive health assessments these days? And he pointed me in the direction of the Cleveland Clinic and he said, you know, just such a great experience. And because I trust this person, I brought it back to the partners and I said, hey, I think we should do this. And, and I, I want to get into that with you in a second about why this is important, especially yeah. for Canadian business owners and executives and people who are in high stress positions. But the partners agreed. And so I was the first one to go down. And I actually posted my experience on LinkedIn, took a little picture out front. One of your staff was kind enough to take a picture. And I just couldn't say more great things about it. And I just felt it was such an important thing, especially as running a business is incredibly stressful. Life is stressful in general. And I just came out of there feeling really good about the information I got back, the investment that I was making in my health. And, and I would suggest it to other people. But actually, that's probably a good place to start because from my standpoint, I work out five days a week because I feel that that's an investment in my health. And to be my best self, and Al knows, Al and I were talking about it the other day, there does not go a day when something that's scheduled, even if my day goes awry and it's midnight, you know, I have to do that workout on this particular day and I believe in it. But from your standpoint, and I'd love to hear, you know, obviously you're going to give me a corporate answer, but I'd love to hear your personal experience as well, because I think they align. Why is health so important in business? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And look, I mean, I think what you'll hear from me today is a, a lot of my personal anecdotes as well. 
And of course, I'm lucky. I have a platform of, as you mentioned, a, a kind of a big global teaching hospital with 80,000 people across the world in 15 countries and 160 cities to kind of, you know, to cheer from, if you will, right? So a lot of today, you'll hear from that. And I would say with that question in particular, I think people don't realize that 75% of their health is determined by their lifestyle and 25% is genetics. So they think you're doomed to your genetics. And when you actually hit age 60, over 90% of your health is determined by your lifestyle and 10% is genetics. So all the things that a lot of us know already, right? Like around mental health, around physical health, around taking care of yourself. And like you said, Robin, getting into the gym, making sure you hang on to your muscle for years and making sure you kind of get that good peace of mind from what a workout does for you. It's critically important. And if you want to be around for a long time to share memories with your family, with your friends, these are the right things to do. And that's what the data says. You know what I noticed with your firm, because I had to email you this morning just because we had a bit of a technical glitch. So we thought we were going to be later than we are. And I got an email back from Larissa on your team. Yeah. And something that struck me because I've never seen it. I've seen people end an email with cheers, best regards, take care. And I just thought it was so apropos how she ended her email, healthy regards. So can you talk about how maybe that goes through your organization? Because obviously it struck me that no one's ever said that to me. And I actually really liked it. And I might start using that myself because that's what I wish for other people as well. So can you talk about the ethos about where that comes from? Yeah, so it's a great question. And again, this will get into my personal kind of mandate mission, if you will. So being brought up in Chicago and brought up by my parents in a kind of a humble area, the Midwest of the U.S. And I would say I've been in healthcare for 20 to 25 years. And quite frankly, when I had started up a healthcare organization in Chicago with a group called Northwestern Memorial Hospital, I ran into a friend who I started this business with who was a very overeducated individual where he went to medical school and business school at the same time. And it was the first person to do that at Northwestern in, in Chicago. He started to sign off his emails with healthy regards. And I said, I'm like, that is great. It's so appropriate for people that want to make health a big piece of their daily lives and remind us rather than the typical sign off on a signature of sincerely or best regards, or I thought it was great. So I actually stole it from him 25 years ago. And I brought it here when I moved here in 2009. And I noticed, and I guess, you know, I'll say this with great humility, as we know, sometimes folks that you work with notice things you're doing and say, oh, I really like that. I'm going to copy that. Right. And I started to see people around here respond to me with healthy regards in the signature. I'm like, that's awesome. And I didn't mandate it. I didn't do anything. But I actually think it's one of those things is I've got mentors and I'll find things that I love that they do that I think are infectious. Right. And I'll take them. And I'll say, I'm going to use it, too. So my hunch is Larissa thought that's great. And there's a number of people at this organization now that have kind of copied it. And, you know, I think the imitation is the finest form of flattery, I think, is something that. I think Einstein or someone said. So yeah, I'm truly humbled that it's kind of gone around our organization now. That's really cool. And again, you're right. It struck me and I thought, wow, that's that's really cool. 
I'll share a story and I wish I could give the person credit, but I honestly don't remember where I got the idea. The first call that we did, Mike, internally, we call these chemistry calls because we want to see if there's chemistry with the person. Can you develop rapport and have a good conversation like we're having now? And someone years ago gave that to me. Someone I talked to, whether it was a client or a prospect. And again, I wish I could give them credit. If that person is listening to this and you know that's your idea and you gave that to me, please reach out and let me know because we use those now. And Debbie, you know, who works for me has said, hey, should I book a chemistry call with this new prospect and see if there's chemistry? Because of course, one of the things we talk about is we want to align on values and things like that. And it's gone through our organization as well. So shout out to Larissa. Larissa, you're awesome. And I might have to steal that as well. (laughs) Mike, earlier you said once you get to 60, 90% health style, your health is 90% health style, 10% genetic. So what I think I'm hearing is there's still hope for me. (laughs) Well, I didn't say that, Al. But (laughs) given that we, on average, we'll live to what, 78 to 82, something like that. We only have 30 to 35,000 days on this earth. I highly encourage everyone to take advantage of each and every moment in their life to do things like manage your stress, go to the gym, walk 30 minutes a day, floss your teeth. Like these are things that there's data to show will help you stay alive and create more memories with your families and loved ones. Well, that's a perfect segue, Mike, into what I wanted to ask next was you're in the business of healthcare, but the proof's always in the pudding. And you just gave a couple of tips there. Like, what do you do? What's important to you in terms of you taking care of yourself? Yeah, look, it's it's a great question. And there's a number of things I do. There's probably five or more things I do every week. So one of them is I'll meditate generally 10 to 20 minutes every other day. I'll shut my door or I'll do it in the morning or at night. And I literally will deep breathe and kind of get a hold of my thoughts, if you will. So that's been really, really helpful. Another thing that I do is I will do strength training something called super slow, where I'll lift really heavy weights very slowly. I've done that for 14 years at seven in the morning on Wednesday, from seven in the morning to 7.20 in a tiny little gym. And the reason I do that is there was some data that our chief wellness officer, Dr. Royzen, shared with me many years ago, something along the lines of every 10 years, you lose 5% of various functions in your body, cardiac function, liver function, muscle And males in particular, I want to say age 28, it starts to decline. So I want to hang on as much muscle as I possibly can. So I've been doing this for 14 years and it's kind of been a habit now. So I've really enjoyed that. Another thing I do for flexibility, I'll do yoga once or twice a week. I'll jog once or twice a week. I'll do Peloton once or twice a week. And the last thing I've gotten into is, like many of us have, is I grew up a racket sport guy, actually nationally ranked in the United States in table tennis. So I do pickleball once or twice a week as well. So I try to stay active. It helps me manage my stress because stress can take up to 32 years off your life. So it's really, really important that I do these five or six activities, spend a lot of time with my family and with my three amazing kids and my wife built really strong social connections and try to be as present for them every minute of the day. You talked a little bit about moving to Canada a number of years ago. Can you talk a little bit about why, what precipitated the move and maybe share a little bit of your career journey? It's funny. I was one of these individuals growing up that likes balance. So I was fine with academics and I love learning. I loved, as I mentioned, playing sports. So I was big into tennis, soccer, as well as table tennis. And I love the idea of teams and performance. 
So my undergrad and my grad work were at Big Ten schools in the United States, both at Ohio State and Northwestern. And I wound up picking up some degrees in marketing and accounting and picked up my CPA and went into public accounting. I went back to school. I got my MBA. And I spent a lot of time around organizational behavior. Like how do people and teens make decisions? And that always fascinated me. And I always spent a lot of time understanding what gives me fuel. And to be honest, what gives me fuel is stories. So I love people's stories. I love to listen to what people are doing with their lives. I love to understand whether it's personal work or family. That gets me pumped up to basically hear that. And so I think as I went along in my journey, I realized I'm probably best suited for something in general management or something in leadership where I could help impact lots of people rather than just one person. And so before my role as CEO of Cleveland Clinic Canada, I actually started up a healthcare business and loved it, really enjoyed it. And in a small way, it competed with the Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and some of these organizations in the United States. So when it was sold, I got a call from the Cleveland Clinic and they said, hey, any interest in moving your family to Toronto? And I said, oh, geez, that's interesting. My wife started to cry. <laughs> and she said, my network, everything is here in Chicago. I'm like, honey, like, this is a great time to move. And Toronto is a great city, fourth largest in North America, amazing reputation. Let's visit and see if there's something here. So we came here in 2009. I have to tell you, the fabric of this country is outstanding, ethically, socially, from a safety perspective. I remember I moved here in 2009. There were 600 homicides in Chicago. There were 30 here in Toronto. So great place to raise a family. I went from a working visa to permanent residency, and now we're going through dual citizenship. One of my kids is born here. Two were born in Chicago, and we'll be dual our permanent residence now. So this is our home, and we've really enjoyed it. And I can tell you, it's a very unique sector, healthcare in Canada. And I bring that up because I love puzzles and figuring stuff out. And I believe, you know, there are 200 countries in the world and there is only one other country besides Canada that has the same exact system. Okay. And it's actually North Korea, which people don't realize. And what that means is if you tear your ACL al jogging today, you have no choice. You have to go into the public system and have your procedure within that system. Most, except for North Korea, these other countries, they have parallel paths where you could actually pay for a procedure for your knee, if you will. So I love that. Like, I love that idea of how do you, number one, solve that to help more Canadians. And number two, I really do believe our country, Canada, can differentiate from other countries based on their healthcare system. And I fundamentally believe that. I want to be part of that. So those are all part of the reasons why not only we came in 2009, but why we've been here 14 years and we continue to make Toronto our home. I'm really curious about one thing you just said there. And I know the Cleveland Clinic has a great reputation and everything. How the heck did you know that I tore my ACL and had to get it fixed in the public health system? <laughs> Someone's keeping tabs on you. Yeah. <laughs> I played the probabilities because you look like a high level athlete that potentially competed in the Olympics for Canada. And I took a guess, right? Flattery <laughs> will get you everywhere. <laughs>
That is so funny. Mike, can we go back? Because I'm very interested because it's a conversation I recently had with Al. And Al had shared with me that he had started to meditate. And a lot of very successful people that we talked to, the very first person in this series, and I think you know him, Vince Danielson. Yeah, Vince is great. Yeah, he had come on the podcast and he had said he practices 10, 10, and 10. 10 minutes of gratitude from the moment he wakes up, 10 minutes of journaling, and 10 minutes of meditation. And it was ever since that episode, I've thought about it more and more. And of course, it was such a great idea. I did nothing about it. And Al had shared with me, he had a couple of months ago started meditation in the morning and how he thought it was very, very beneficial. And I had shared with him that when I get up, my routine is I get up, I make a coffee, and then I'm on social media. The first thing I do is grab my phone. And, you know, especially these days in the world, it stresses you out. It's so inflammatory. And I said to him, I said, I'm going to try that. So the next morning I got up, I still made my coffee because coffee is, you know, is love. And I went onto YouTube and I just did one of these 10 minute meditations. And it was so refreshing to start the day that way. And I have to admit, I haven't done it every day. But can you just talk to us? What do you think you're getting out of that? And, you know, for people listening who think, oh, my God, well, you know, Mike's the head of the company. Of course, no one's going to say, hey, you got to be at work at this time and, and give him grief about it. But how do you incorporate that into your life? And why do you think people should make time for actually doing something like that? I think the biggest thing in general is, as we know, this world is crazy at times. And there's lots of pressure. And the binds of personal work and family are blurred. And as we all know, especially in the kind of the corporate world as well, it's a very unique time. Interest rates are rising. Sustainability and affordability is very troublesome. Supply chain costs are going up. Inflation is going up. It's a very, very tough world right now and crazier. And then, as we all know, the impacts of social media. And as you mentioned, you get up, you check your phone. It's gotten, I believe, a crazier, more stressful world that has a bigger impact, the external factors, on an individual than 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And to find 5, 10, 15 minutes in your day, to clear your mind, to clear your brain. To me, what it does for me is it kind of resets me each day and starts my day over a little bit like Groundhog Day, that, that movie. Like, even though I'm doing similar stuff, I'm seeing my family, I'm seeing my kids, I'm going to work, I'm seeing the same type of people, I'm moving around and doing all that stuff. I'm on the phone, I'm emailing, texting, blah, blah, blah. I think what it does for me is it resets me. And the five or 10 minutes that I do it every other day, basically, when you do it for like the first few weeks, it feels like an hour. The five or 10 minutes that goes by, you're like, oh my God, like, is this ever going to end? And I think the reason for that is we're all moving so fast and we're putting so much in a minute to basically do nothing and focus on yourself for five or 10 minutes. It's incredible. And so it is such a nice way to almost cleanse your mind and to me, build up some resilience as well for what will come. So that's the big benefit. And I highly encourage people doing it. I'm actually getting even more formal training on it right now because just refreshing, like, what should I be doing formally rather than like, I'm all good with the apps. I started with all the various apps that everyone knows about, but now I have a trainer, like of a mental health trainer around meditation that comes in and tells me the theory behind it, 
and how often and what are some key words to get into that state, if you will. So I found it a nice way to clean my mind each and every day. I like that. And one of the things that I've, I've been better at than meditation is journaling. Because as everyone knows who's listened to this podcast, it's no secret where the success leaves clues comes from. That's a yes. Tony Robbins saying. I love it. And he had another great one. If a life is worth living, it's worth recording. So I've been pretty good about journaling. And I let my wife know, and I don't think she sneaks a peek right now, but maybe one day when I'm <laughs> gone, there's going to be you know an account of how I felt on every day and the frustrations that I met. And one of the things that I've talked about on this podcast is every single year, I write a letter to my wife that she doesn't know about unless she's listening to these episodes. I'm not sure if she is or not. <laughs> she should be. But I just, I really believe in recording where you were at that point in your life and how you felt and what the challenges you were worried, what you were excited about. So just from my experience, I would recommend that to people as well, because it's a great way to get things out of your mind and onto paper. Because I had said to Al and Joe, my business partners, a lot of times, I said, why do all my greatest ideas come at three in the morning and then I can't sleep? And what I found is now if I write in the morning and then I write again at night, if there's anything on my mind, it's like my mind can now settle down knowing, oh, okay, I've already addressed that. I've already talked to someone, even though it's just me writing it down. So Al, if you're open to talking about it, what's been your experience over the last couple of months with meditation? Yeah, I was going to share a couple of quick stories based on what you had just talked about, Mike. Number one, from the meditation, you know, I worked with Coach a while back. And, you know, one of the things she just said to me, just hey, maybe she's really smart. She is really smart. I know that. She asked some really good questions. But one time she just said, your brain never stops, does it? And I said, well, no, there's always thoughts running through my head, right? And, you know, at the time I thought, well, that's a good thing. Like, why would I ever want my brain to shut down? I need to be doing everything, right? But then I kind of stopped and reflected on that for a while. I went, you know what? Maybe that isn't such a good thing. Maybe I do need to shut my brain off once in a while. So I have been doing meditation, trying it out. I'm probably not good at it. But the one thing I find is I can literally shut my brain down now for, you know, even those 10 minutes, just like you said, just kind of clear your thoughts, relax, breathe. Don't have anything going through your head. I think it's been beneficial. So that's one thing. The other thing I'll quickly share, because I heard this the other day and I queued in on it. I thought, you know, there's some truth to that. We were talking about social media, you know, and how it affects us. The comment was, in the future, we'll probably look back at social media and these little phones here as the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, right? And think about it. We get a break in the day. What do we do? We don't pull out a cigarette. Some people probably still do, but no, we pull out the phone. We look at it. And first thing in the morning, what do I do? I hop. Well, that's, that's kind of like what a lot of people do with cigarettes, right? Well, that's their break. They have a cigarette. Now it's our break. What do we do? We hop on our phone. So I thought that was a really neat comparison and yeah. that kind of stuck with me. I think that's well said. And look, I think both of you have very valid points. I've always had mentors that are usually 20, 30, 40 years older than me. And I try to learn from them and kind of live through their eyes. Like I'm making decisions for someone that's 80 years old and learn from those 80 year olds, but do it today. And one of the things I started doing, and it's a little like Robin, like you're saying, with the journaling, but for the last 20 years, I've actually filmed the videos of my family, myself, various events, not just the big events, just random stuff. And I think the reason I'm doing this is as my kids age, I want them and my grandkids to know what I was like when I was in my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, because that's what I want right now. I want to know what my grandfather was like, or my grandmother, or my great-grandfather. Like I want to know that, and I want to see it. And so 
I store thousands of videos now on Vimeo <laughs> and archived. And so I'm hoping that maybe there are some nuggets there for my kids and their kids and their kids as kind of life goes on and to take advantage of technology. Like, Al, you're saying, like, I agree with you. I think down the road, there's a ton of research, as we all know, going on that there could be some really negative repercussions to social media when you're addicted and it's very, very difficult. The other flip side is using it as a tool to basically expose future generations to this is the authentic Mike. Look at Mike playing basketball. Look at Mike playing tennis. Look at Mike at a birthday celebration or look at Mike with his first car or look at his family and how they react to Mike. Look at Mike, how he likes to joke around. That is priceless. And to be honest, it's also part of the altruistic reasons I'm in healthcare because I do feel it's my job to help people create more memories with their families and their loved ones. And that's, I think, what we all strive for. That's the job of the healthcare sector. I call those videos that you're capturing moments in time. And one of my core beliefs is capturing those moments in time. And I truly believe that. And I've said this many times on the podcast, so I won't go into detail, but I recently, my mom is going through chemo right now. She's 82 years old and we were worried about her making a wedding next summer for my niece. And she's very close with my niece. And I captured her life story on this platform. And for anyone who's listening, we use a platform called Riverside. It's great to use. You can do so much with it. And I highly encourage you exactly what you're doing, Mike. Get those moments with your family. Because the story I had with my mom, first of all, I learned things about her childhood that I never knew because we had this conversation. And then I capture a moment where she's talking about her grandkids. And of course, she just lights up when she's talking about her grandkids. And we capture a moment where she says, Megan, my niece, is her best friend. And I thought, Megan won't see this. She'll see it one day when grandma's gone. And God forbid, I'm hoping grandma makes it to that that wedding next summer. But if she didn't, I thought, what a gift that we have the technology and the power to do for the good purposes that Megan is going to have that forever. And so will the other grandkids because she talked about the other grandkids too. But what a gift to know, wow, grandma loved me so much. And so I love you. The first person that that has told me that you're doing things like that. So I really love that and and admire that about you. And and kudos to you. I do want to pivot a little bit because I want to talk about, and most of my followers would have, because the post did incredibly well. I talked about my experience at the Cleveland Clinic that day, you know, top to bottom. And and again, you came out with such peace of mind. And again, no one comes out, I think, without any recommendations whatsoever. And I had a couple of recommendations. And what was really powerful was actually, you know, using the app, I could share it with my own physician. He was thrilled to get all these results that he didn't have to order, right? So it it was great in terms of our healthcare. But one of the things I noticed was every single person I dealt with, they were operating the same way, very courteous, very kind, engaging. And whenever I see that in an organization, I look to the leadership of that organization because that's usually where it's stemming from. So can you maybe talk to us about your leadership style? And clearly it's been successful, but you know, what are the things that you're doing that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, look, I think a few things. Thanks for saying that, firstly. I think this organization is a 102-year-old organization founded in 1921 by four physicians that actually practiced in World War I. And they loved military medicine, which is very team-based. So after the war, they came back and they started the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. So we're part of a nonprofit foundation where any 
surplus goes right back into patient care, research, and education, including a free medical school, which I think is maybe one of five in the world, is my understanding. And Canadians get to go to it as well, coming out debt-free. So I think this system, I would say empathy, teamwork, quality, safety, integrity, inclusion, innovation, those are values that I grew up with with my parents. And to be honest, like it sounds corny, but I think that's why I'm still with this organization. It's part of how I was raised and it's part of how these four physician founders created the Cleveland Clinic. And we message that internally as well. We want our patients and our caregivers to feel it. And then, you know, me as an individual and who I am, I care about every single person. I don't care if the person has money or doesn't have money. Money is just a variable. That doesn't mean anything at all, right? How are you going to help people? And healthcare is a very powerful sector to be able to help a lot of people. So as I referenced earlier, the barriers of personal work and family, they're gone. You can't have someone come in, one of your caregivers, we call all 80,000 people caregivers, and come to me or come to a manager and say, I've had a really rough night. My wife came in and said, we're going to get divorced. You can't say to that person, I'm sorry to hear about that. Go back to your job. Like, that's a joke. You got to be caring. You got to listen. You got to help where you can help. Those barriers, you have to do what you have to do to be someone that's empathetic and that can understand. And that should carry over all over. And oh, by the way, you know, the days with our parents and our grandparents where they would work for one company for 40, 50 years, they have a little bit of a nest egg and they retire. I love those days. And so as a leader and as a human, I'm trying to bring back those days. I've got 5.9% turnover okay, here in Canada for our 500 caregivers and 80 physicians. Wow. So it wasn't always like that, but it is now. And I think our team has done a great job of showing the love because you as a patient or Al as a patient, when you come back, you do want to see, it's like the chairs effect. You want someone that's going to know your name. You want someone that understands your history and that is there, right? And there's continuity. So why can't I try to recreate those days of, you know, we build and we're going to continue to add new people, but you're going to see a lot of familiar faces that you're like, oh yeah, I remember Judy. Judy's been with us 17 years. So yeah, that's amazing. Oh, in your front desk. Oh my God, they're amazing. I remember seeing Ralph last year. He's the best. Like he's so nice to me and he brought me this special little treat and it was so great of it. So that is where I want to be. That is who I want to work with. And we're only on the 30, 35,000 days. So I'm going to try to do my best within my organization, within my platform to create that environment. It's very refreshing to hear because I think most conversations we have, people have resigned themselves to exactly what you said. Oh, young people, they don't stay in the same job now. They move on to other companies. Well, who's to say through leadership and through creating an awesome organization that you can't keep people around? So, you know, success leaves clues, that little clue, you just left a big one for Al and I, and we'll go offline and talk to our other business partner. And I, th- and I think we are doing a lot of the right things, you know, to give people opportunity and, and create a place where they really want to show up for work and do a great job. But it's one of the first times I've heard another leader talk about it. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Mike, you already touched on this before, and obviously what you're doing, 
both with patients and with your organization. But can you talk about what career advice you'd give to people? And I suspect that part of that answer will be around health and taking care of yourself and that kind of thing. But I'll let you go down that path if you can. Yeah. So three things. Number one, you hit the first one. Take care of yourself. You know, when everyone flies and when they always say, right, God forbid, if a plane goes down, what do you do? You get the oxygen mask coming out. You take care of yourself first and your family second. So we're all humans. We're not robots. So you're not setting the right example from a leadership perspective if you're not taking care of your mind and your body. And it's the right thing to do for everyone around you. So I try to do that as well and practice what I preach. You'll see me here even during the day. I'll take a yoga session once a week, right? And patients and our caregivers will see me doing that, right? And I I want them to see that. So number one, I'd say number two is my mom taught me this, like always network. So I've got, I want to say, I used to do this thing where I'd want to add 5% in my Outlook contacts each year. So now I'm, I think, around close to 15,000 contacts in Outlook. And I'm always trying to meet new people because you never know how the world connects to you. And incredible opportunities, personal work and family have come to me because I've just met people throughout the world, Canada, the U.S., all over. And it's because oftentimes it's not that straight line that you think linearly should happen, but it's the dotted lines. And it's those dotted lines that you can't predict. So I'm a big, big networker and trying to get out there as much as you possibly can. Third thing would be, everyone says this, but I'll take it one step further. Yes, listen to people. You've heard this before. We got, what, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Spend a lot of time listening to people. And I'll take it one step further. And there's a reason I'm saying this is this at times can be a reciprocal world where Even the sayings of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, like that kind of stuff. Start to implement things in your life, things at work where, no, you don't expect anything back. Why would you expect anything back? Just do the right thing, always, period. So, for example, like even here at work, I've got a great job. I work with great people. And yes, I'm the CEO, blah, 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 no big deal. But I will call up people or I will stop by their uh, cubicle or their office or an open space, I'll say, hey, what's up? Or I'll email them, hey, what's up, right? And you would expect them to say, what do you want? Because we're so programmed in the work environment. When someone emails or someone goes through Microsoft Teams, okay, what do you want? That's rubbish. Like I spend a lot of my time, to be honest, bringing my authentic, like I can be really silly too. And I'll say, Hey, everything going okay? You're doing all right? Oh, by the way, you told me you were pregnant. You can find out what the sex of the baby is, right? And I just had someone today text me from the ultrasound appointment, say, it's a girl. It's a girl, just out of the blue. (laughs) So there is nothing attached to that. Like, oh, I know I've got a report due to you, Mike, next week. That's rubbish. So I would say the final piece of advice would not just listening, But go deeper. Show people in the work environment that there is no tit for tat. Care about them in the work environment and do those things where you don't expect anything back. 
That is a great piece of advice. Another thing I was, I'll share with you is, I don't know if you've seen, it came across uh, somewhere, probably social media. Um, so the five regrets of people who are dying when they look back in their lives and things that they wish they had done differently. Number one was being their authentic self, trying to live like they thought others wanted to see them as opposed to being the person they really wanted to be. Number two was not spending enough time with family, too much focused on career and not enough on family. And then the third one, what was the third one that they said, sorry, now I've lost my train of thought. It'll come to me probably before we finish this off. So I'll, I'll swing back to that one. It's funny you bring that up because I've seen that list and I will oftentimes ask our physicians, hey, when all these folks come into your office and they bear all, what are the top things that they tell you? It's exactly what you said. And it's led by, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. And quickly thereafter, it's in the work environment. I wish I would have made those decisions earlier. So I think you're right. It makes complete sense. I remember the third one now. And it's exactly what you've already said about networking. And that's why it clicked in. The third one was yeah. not keeping in touch with close friends. Uh, yes. Yes. Mm. That's what clued me in. That, that makes sense. It's very appropriate. Since we're heading down this path, I think this is a great spot for a bit of a philosophical question. And it's Al's signature question. So, Mike, if you're up for it, I'll let Al take it away. Of course. Just what you're doing pretty much already answers this question. But the question is this. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? <laughs> that is great. I really like that, actually. Again, as you know, I've mentioned I've had three to four mentors in my life that are usually 30 to 40 years older than me. And I think a couple things. Number one is I believe scarcity is a very big concept especially in today's world. And I will apply it to a few different areas. One would be, uh, generally speaking, a lot of people want sometimes what they don't have or they can't have. It could be a purse that maybe someone can't afford. It could be a really nice dinner that is in a different province and it entails flying there and it's not going to work my schedule, if you will. That concept is fascinating to me and something that one of my mentors taught me. It also applies to humans. Every human is different. And I get a countless amount of CVs and resumes. And I get a number of people that I mentor. And they come into my office and they say, yeah, I've got my... MD or I've got my MBA and a lot of people have their MD and their MBA or I've worked at this place, but a lot of people have worked at this place and I live close by, but a lot of people live close by and they automatically categorize themselves with other people. I see a lot of that in like job interview and even with the interviewer, they say, oh yeah, they look at the CVs and they match them up. So my advice constantly that I'm trying to get into everybody's head is you're unique. You're scarce. No one in the world is like you. You have to do the story right. You have to tell your story and how it's different and how it's unique. No one's going to tell it for you. So one of the kind of the seeds I'm trying to plant with the youth here is just that. 
just because you went to Western and someone else went to Western or someone went to Queens and someone else went to great. Tell me what's unique and different about you and what is something that you want people to know. And that, that's what will make you successful in anything you want to do. And so that's something I'm trying to plant in everyone to feel confident and feel proud. I think the second thing in general that I'm hoping that people learn from me and as a seed I could plant for the future is I already brought up my ping pong exploits. And I didn't bring up that you know I was on the volunteer heart and stroke board for seven years. And I stood up at a board meeting and I said, hey, I want to marry my two passions, ping pong and healthcare." And they looked at me all cross-eyed. They said, well, what do you mean? So, well, I'm like a grassroots guy. I don't mind governance, but I want to go into the community. They said, okay, what are you going to do? So I actually started Canada's largest third-party fundraiser for corporations, a, a ping pong tournament in Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver eight years ago. And why am I sharing this? There's each site, 64 companies, 250 players, 150 spectators, raising about $120,000 in each site for heart and stroke research, and this year, Ontario Brain Institute research. So why am I bringing that up? I think everyone's got an opportunity to kind of lead and kind of go first, right, and take a step. And it could be in any of their ways. Like, it doesn't have to be giving back, you know, money. It could be mentorship. It could be, hey, I just want to do this for the betterment of the world, if you will. I think everyone has that responsibility. And I'm hoping that as I do a proper job communicating internally at Cleveland Clinic and with any external relationships, as well as my own family, that's a seed that I'm planting. Wow. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a great message. And I think that's a great spot for us to leave them wanting more. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you again for sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at the Cleveland Clinic? Email is really good, <laughs> ironically, as we talk about social media and electronic ways, if you will. But email is actually pretty good with me. So Kessel, K-E-S-S-E-L, just like the hockey player, M, the number two, at ccf.org, clevelandclinicfoundation.org, M 2 at ccf.org. Okay, thanks, Mike. All right, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And as we've clearly seen today, success leaves clues, my friends. We'll see you next time.